Section 16 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 16. The Tolliver Martin Logan Vendetta, Part 7. Final Battle of Moorhead, June 22, 1887. After leaving Frankfort, Logan hastened to Cincinnati, Ohio, where he purchased several hundred dollars worth of Winchester rifles, pistols, shotguns, and an ample supply of ammunition. These were boxed and shipped as sawmill fixtures and consigned to a small station, Gates, in Rowan County, some miles from Moorhead. Immediately upon his return to Rowan County, Logan summoned his friends. They responded with a will. Many came from the neighboring counties, except Elliott County, which section sympathized strongly with the Tollivers, whose relatives were strong there. Sheriff Hogg was placed in possession of the warrants against Craig Tolliver and his Confederates, charging them with the recent murders of the Logan boys on June 7th. It was definitely and explicitly agreed upon and arranged that the sheriff should demand the surrender of the Tollivers, and only in case of their refusal to comply were the citizens to take a hand. This, of course, was a mere matter of form. It was easy to predict to a certainty that the Tollivers would not obey the demand of surrender by the officers. That had been tried too often before. Yet the Logan faction desired to exhaust all lawful means before resorting to bloodshed. Sheriff Hogg was instructed to demand the surrender and upon its refusal to retreat in order to ensure his personal safety and to give the forces under Boone Logan an opportunity to enforce the demand. Thus far all went well. When the morning of June 22nd came, bright and beautiful, everything was in readiness for the coming struggle. Logan, with some of his men, was stationed near the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway Depot. Just across, at the business place of Vinton and Pigman, Hiram Pignan, with six or seven men, stood in readiness to act in concert with Logan. On the opposite side of the town, another detachment was carefully posted in concealment, the Tollivers were completely surrounded. Strange to say, with all their vigilance, they had remained in utter ignorance of Logan's final preparations. Logan was despised by them. His frequent absences from home had been attributed to fear. Of his visit to Frankfort and his purchase of arms at Cincinnati they knew nothing. It was late in the morning of the 22nd when an accident revealed to them their danger, though the knowledge came too late to enable their escape. The wife of a railroad man was visiting friends at Moorhead. Her husband had noticed bodies of armed men closing in upon the town. He also knew of the large shipment of arms to Gate Station. Anxious for the safety of his wife, after his suspicions had been aroused, he telegraphed her to leave Moorhead at once, that a battle was impending without doubt. 
This information was conveyed to the Tollivers, who immediately prepared for the attack. Thus it happened that when the battle commenced, Logan and his men were put upon the defensive instead of the offensive, as they had anticipated. The Logan forces awaited the appearance of the sheriff to demand the surrender of the Tollivers. He failed to arrive. The sheriff afterward testified that he had been prevented by armed men from entering the town. Be that as it may, the fight opened without him, and during the battle neither he nor his son participated. Logan, unaware that his plans had been betrayed to the Tollivers, attempted to communicate with his friend Pigman at the latter's store. He dispatched a young man, William Bryant, with a note. To his surprise, the Tollivers suddenly appeared, armed to the teeth, and opened fire upon Bryant. The boy fled for life and escaped without a wound. Logan and Pigman, finding their plans discovered, and the sheriff having failed to put in his appearance, now commenced the work they had cut out for themselves and their friends to perform. Firing began from every direction. Every man fought independently as best he could. Each part of the town became a separate battlefield. The non-combatants sought safety in flight or in the shelter of their homes. Black clouds of smoke hung over the ill-fated town. The air was stifling with the smell of sulfur. The grim monster of civil war raged in all its fury. Well might we say with Chalmers, Oh, the miseries of war! We recoil with horror at the destruction of a single individual by some deed of violence. When we see a man in the prime of health suddenly struck down by some deadly aim, the sight of the lifeless body haunts us for days and weeks, and the shock experienced only time can wear away. The scene stands before us in daytime, is the subject of our dreams, and spreads a gloom which time can only disperse. It is painful to dwell on the distressing picture of one individual, but multiply it and think of the agonies of dying men as goaded by pain, they grasp the cold ground with convulsive energy, or another, faint with the loss of blood, his pulse ebbs low, and the gathering paleness spreads itself over his countenance. Or, wrapping himself round in despair, he can only mark by a few feeble quiverings that life still lurks and lingers in his lacerated body. Or, lifting up a faded eye, he casts a look of imploring helplessness for that succor which no sympathy can yield. The moment the battle opened, Logan became the target for many guns from the concealed Tollivers. The balls fell all around him, plowed up the ground at his feet and hissed by his ears. Craig Tolliver and his confederates instinctively singled him out as their most dangerous adversary and made every effort to kill him. The details of the battle are authentically recorded in the report of Ernest McPherson, captain of a detachment of the Louisville Legion, to the Adjutant General of Kentucky, Sam E. Hill, 
which report was transmitted to the governor and reported to the legislature. As the Tollivers were coming back, Boone Logan commenced firing. He was at once deserted by the men with him, but continued the fire which was returned by the two Tollivers, Craig and Jay, until their Winchester rifles and pistols were empty. They ran from the depot to the American House, Craig Tolliver's hotel, and obtaining a fresh supply of ammunition, were joined by Bud, Andy, Cal, and Kate Tolliver, Cooper, and others. All then started on the run for the Central Hotel. Andy was the first to reach that building by going through alleys and back ways. Bud Tolliver, Cooper, and the rest went by way of Railroad Street, under constant fire from the bushes. Halting near the drug store, they fired upon the concealed enemies and wounded one Madden. Bud Tolliver was here shot in the thigh. Cal and Kate, who were mere boys, assisted Bud up the lane and secreted him in the weeds back of Johnson's store. Then they rejoined their comrades. Cooper presently emerged from the central hotel and fired upon some of the Logan men, but was himself shot through the breast. He retreated into the hotel and secreted himself in a wardrobe upstairs, and in this place of fancied security was again hit by a bullet and killed. The central hotel was surrounded, a cessation of firing ordered, and Logan called upon the Tollivers to come out and they should not be hurt. A message of the same purport was delivered to the Tollivers by a woman. She returned with Kate Tolliver, a boy fifteen years of age, who was disarmed and allowed to go unmolested. The others in the house refusing to surrender, Logan restored to the tactics employed by the Tollivers against his cousins and directed his men to fire the building. The Tollivers broke cover and started for the bushes. Before leaving the house, Craig Tolliver coolly pulled off his boots, saying that it had always been prophesied he would die with his boots on and that he intended to disappoint the prophets. He emerged in his stocking feet. Jay Tolliver got out the rear way, ran about fifty feet, was shot three times, and fell dead. Craig and Andy broke from the hotel on the south side and were greeted with a hail of bullets. Andy was wounded twice, but not seriously, and under cover of the smoke succeeded in reaching the woods. Craig Tolliver's former good luck at last deserted him. He ran, firing at his enemies, down a lane which leads from the hotel to the railroad track. At the corner of the drug store already spoken of, Pigman, Apperson Perry, and three others were posted. They instantly opened fire on Tolliver, the score or more still at the hotel, also continuing their fusillade upon the fleeing outlaw. Craig Tolliver ran a few steps beyond the corner of the store, fell, rose again, and, running toward the switch, 
sank to the ground to rise no more he was riddled with balls and buckshot to the great regret of the logan men the man whose death they most desired was not injured this man was bunk mannon the town marshal who so brutally maltreated the dead bodies of the two logan boys there were undoubtedly some bad men in this fight against the tollivers to whom may be ascribed some excesses which occurred on that memorable day but they do not appear to have been actually connected with the logans one of these men admitted that he fired three shots into the body of jay tolliver after he was down this same man afterwards became a willing witness for the prosecution against the slayers of the tollivers it was this band of guerrillas that shot cooper while secreted in the hotel dying from a wound in the breast after completing their inhuman butchery this same guerrilla band sacked the american hotel and committed other outrages the firing was continuous for two hours except when the logans made proposals to the tollivers to come out and surrender over fifteen hundred shots were fired there was a general sense of relief among the inhabitants when the battle was over and the dreaded tollivers were wiped out a public meeting was held and largely attended a party styling itself the law and order league took possession of the town and held it until the arrival of troops boone logan had faithfully kept his word and retaken his fireside the sinking sun witnessed his return to the home from which he had been banished his enemies had crossed over the great divide for the first time in many months the town was quiet the yells and defiant curses of the drunken desperadoes were heard no more the lips that had uttered them were still. Peace entered Moorhead once more. It had been purchased at the price of much blood. End of section 16